Hey everybody, Jeffrey here. Um, just wanted to let you know we did a different setup this week for the uh, audio, so it might sound a little bit different. Tried to clean it up as best as we could, so um, you guys can hear what we're saying. Uh, we'll address that moving forward. Just wanted to say thank you to everybody for listening, and uh, yeah, hope you enjoy. Welcome back, folks, to the Firm Foundation podcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about unqualified leaders, and with all the news that's been uh, going around the past couple weeks, this is going to be kind of heavy uh, today. So we did want to start out with something a little bit lighter. Um, I do have a question for you, Jeffrey. Ooh, I like questions. Would you rather face a bear or face a lion if you had biblical weapons at your disposal? Ooh, um... I'm gonna go out on face. I'm gonna face the lions, and my biblical weapon will be nothing, a la Daniel. No, I'm a scaredy cat. Um, not scaredy cat. Lions are cats. Yes. Because that was a pun. I need to explain that to our audience. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna go with lion. Um, just you know, living in America, bears kind of scare me, just because they're from here. And did I ever tell you about the time I saw a bear? No. Yeah, I was walking. I was walking our golden retriever down the road. And I look, and he starts barking, and I think, great, a dog is in the neighbor's driveway. <sighs> I look over, and it stood up. Okay. And uh, yeah, so then it, it it just ran off into the woods. But I I, I definitely panicked there for a second because it, it was it was a bear. Was it black bear? Yeah, it was a black bear. I mean, what you know, it's not like some grizzly was in my neighbor's driveway, charging me or anything like that, but. Yeah, that's not good. Anyway, these biblical animals, yeah. I, 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 I honestly, if I had a big old sword, I'd probably feel comfortable taking on a bear. A, a black bear, very specifically. That black bear, which was kind of young. I, you know, I, I get the sword part, but I just want to clarify, you would be comfortable facing a bear with a sword. Yeah, of course. I'm a big, strong man. I'm, I'm not afraid. <laughs> that's true. We are going to start live streaming so you can see how big of a strong man Joshua is. Uh, but we're going to charge for that, so. Hit <laughs> up our Patreon. <laughs> yes, if you would support our Patreon, let us know. We'll start one just for the one listener that's behind us. Okay. Uh, Alrighty, we're going to go ahead and segue into our, our next segment. Uh, so one of the things that we've talked about is that we want to do a segment uh, pretty much every episode where we talk about the authority of Scripture. And today we're talking about the transmission of the Old Testament. So a lot has been made regarding the lack of uh, original manuscripts, the the autographs, that is the the ones that were written by the original authors. We don't have any of the Old Testament writings. But there are several historical evidences to support the idea, like we mentioned last episode, that the books we have uh, are a faithful reading of what the original authors intended. Uh, First and foremost, Jesus himself paid great reverence to the Old Testament, the Tanakh. Um, he quoted it, you know, and, and his quotations, though they're translated into Greek, connect with the translations that we have. Um, so we know that, that for many years, well, throughout its entire history, Israel had many enemies who sought to destroy the works of the prophets. Uh, you can see Jeremiah 36, just for an example. Uh, and beyond that, the copies were most likely written on uh, papyrus or, or leather, and when the material began to wear out, uh, it was a common practice that they were reverently destroyed because God's name was written on them, and it would have been disrespectful to leave them in a state of disrepair. 
Uh, all that said, even though some of those older manuscripts are gone, we do have a few. The Dead Sea Scrolls dated uh, one to three hundred years before the birth of Jesus, somewhere in there, lend great credence to, to the belief that uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that the early church had, the Septuagint, as well as the, the Masoretic text, are faithful transcriptions. And with that, the agreement between the Septuagint and the Masoretic text uh, and others, in spite of their different locations over decades or centuries, gives us a very strong confidence in what we have today. Uh, we also know that there were a few groups of Jewish scribes who sought to standardize the Tanakh in the first and second centuries, presumably with texts older than what we have available to us today. Um, and so all that to say, though many people like to really hone in on the Old Testament argument, uh, there is reasonable evidence to show that what we have is correct. Right. And I think, um, kind of as we touched on last episode, it also just comes down to what are we willing to accept for antiquity? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, not outside of logic, but still requires faith. Yep. I mean, it's hard to skirt around. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Jeffrey, today we are talking about something that um, I, I, I think the news about Ravi Zacharias has kind of brought it to the forefront, forefront of a lot of people's minds. Sadly, yes. I'm a little lost for words. Yeah, I'm, it the words that we might even have. It's also hard because what hasn't been said. Um, what can we say that's logical and not from a point of emotion? Whether you appreciated his ministry or not. Um, whenever you have a really public figure, it's tough because we already have preconceived notions. And um, sometimes that makes it just more difficult to parse through <laughs> the situation. Yeah. yeah, but the fact was, it's very clear now that for at, the, at least the last decade of his ministry, he was not qualified for the office he held. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. What? Let, let's start with what is a qualified leader in the church in ministry? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's always, it's always great to have a definition laid out. And um, so the, I'm just going to read this from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, and your Bible probably has a heading on it for something like qualifications for overseers or qualifications for elders, something similar. Uh, but this is just chapter 3, and we'll just kind of read through it here. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And we, uh, we might be able to go a little bit further later on uh, as it gets into deacons. But right now we're kind of talking more about the overseer role. Um, so those are the biblical qualifications for an elder. Um, Oh, I should have mentioned that was from the ESV. So if you have a different version, it may have read a little bit differently. But um, 
that's the one I read. Uh, so, just reading through that list, through the recent light of what were once allegations have now been proven through independent uh, research and investigation, we can check a couple of those off the list as not me meeting that mark that Paul has laid out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but I think a big question is, I mean, there. I have to think about how to phrase this. Sorry. I don't think the question is just, are we putting men who are qualified? You know, when when they're appointed, are they qualified? Because I'm quite confident that Ravi at one point was qualified. The question is, is there any system in place to take someone out once they become unqualified? Now, obviously, on the front end, if we find out someone is unqualified, we should be proactive in that situation. But, but the damage that's been done to the church isn't because, in large part, isn't because we put people who are unqualified there, but because of the people who are there have become unqualified. Right. Disqualifying yourself rather than being promoted unworthily. Right. Um, and I think that really comes down to church culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where, where, where do we even begin when we're looking at elders? What, what kind of processes can we do to protect the church from these situations? Yeah. Um, so here, this is something that, uh, especially from our point of view, living in America, um, the American church as a whole, so not speaking about one singular denomination over another, um, but a lot of Americans go to non-denominational churches, and we see a big prevalence of this type of thing happening, and the reasoning is somebody doesn't like either how a church is ran, or how they were treated at a church, or pick whatever excuse it might be, and you create your own church. There's nothing inherently wrong with creating a new church, but the problem is, is if one person sets out to create a church and then, and then has a flock and a congregation that they're in charge of, if they don't bring people alongside of them to have a board or a plurality of biblically qualified elders, so there's a group of men that meet these requirements rather than just one man, we run into these problems because there's no accountability, which is going to be a big word for this um, this podcast as a whole, where if your pastor is a running things like a CEO, you got a problem. Because yes, there are financial decisions that a church has to meet. There's um, staff and there's personnel. There are those types of things. But at the end of the day, we're not supposed to be running like a business. There's a business aspect. But if the pastor has full, clear, this is what we're going to do. This is why the buck stops here and I don't answer to anyone. How are we going to know when these qualifications are no longer being met and who is going to be able to bring a charge against them and say listen you're my brother in the lord here's what i've seen here's what i've heard what's your side of the story let's talk about this and come to a conclusion if you're just overarching everyone it's kind of the same thing hot button topic we won't get into politics but in the united states there are ways to remove a sitting president or Congress people or senators, whatever the position is, if you no longer fit that bill or you do something contrary to the interests, you can be removed. Right. The church should not be exempt from that. Absolutely. So, so there needs to be 
uh, accountability. Yep, there it is again. But we got to hammer that a couple times. <laughs> this magic word. I mean, when you read through the reports and all of, I mean, there, there's a lot coming out of uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, but that's a common thread is that Ravi really did not have a lot of accountability and even people who protected him from it. Yep, absolutely. And then you see things, again, um, we're kind of using this as an example because it's a current event, uh, but we're not saying that this is strictly an RZIM problem that this happens over. But another thing that you see in those reports is using ministry funds for illicit activities, which again, is there no one else allowed to see what's going on with the funds or are all of these people complicit? It just raises more questions when there's not that accountability of, hey, what are we using the ministry credit card on? Absolutely. And the fact is, this isn't just for the protection of the ministry. Um, you know, in, in a situation like with Ravi, uh, that I mean, he was committing evil, despicable acts, period. Mm -hmm. But there are other situations. Uh, there was a megachurch pastor last year. It was extremely tragic. He was a mental health advocate, um, and, and he took his own life. Mm -hmm. He had asked for someone to take over his job because he couldn't, he, he already knew that, that it was taking too much of a toll on him. Mm -hmm. He knew that he couldn't keep doing this, but no one was willing to take him out of his position. They weren't willing to confront the issue for his own protection. Yeah. This is, so this is not just an issue for protecting people uh, and, and ministry. This is protecting the very leaders who need this accountability. Yeah. It's, it really is um, a double-edged sword where if, we don't protect our leaders. How can they protect those who they are leading? There has to be a two-way accountability where your pastor should hold you accountable. When if he sees you in the public square doing something very unchristian, then he has the right with the rest of the elder board to administer church discipline. Church discipline doesn't go one way. It's not lorded over the congregation. The congregation also holds their leaders to a certain standard being not only the passage we read, but the entirety of Scripture and the entirety of God's revealed counsel. Right. Uh, and, and this goes back into the concept of the church being a community. Yes. And a family, even. Guess what you have inside of community? What's that? Accountability. Come on. I know. It's crazy. And, and I mean, even, even within, you know, I, I, I like that phrase, family. Mm -hmm. My brother. Malachi, I know you're listening. Bless his soul. He remembers when I loaned him money, <laughs> and you bet he will keep me accountable for it. Of course, he's not very good at keeping himself accountable for all of the things and candy and food and video games that he's stolen, but you see, our families are able to hold us accountable, even if we have imperfect memory. Uh, in a church setting, God has laid out clear guidelines for how we are to hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. The problem in a situation of abuse is that the time for that kind of accountability where one person goes to another has passed. Yep, absolutely. We have established uh, a pattern of extremely inappropriate, uh, destructive, sinful behavior. So something drastic needs to happen. This is not a moment where you can just, oh, sorry, I will stop. We're, we're past that point. Yeah. Serious discipline needs to happen. Yeah, and um, I mean, this might be a later episode we look more broadly at just abuse and personal abuse, but this is something too that 
regardless of what the activity might be, sometimes it's just a personal failing. Sometimes it's more or less ticky-tacky, however you look at it. But other times, there are times where it's not just sin that's being addressed. It's actual crimes. And sometimes the church fails in that aspect of, well, we're going to handle it internally. And yes, sometimes you need to handle it internally. But also, if there's a crime, we have... We're still obligated to submit to our authorities. Yes. And so I'm not saying full sale, Rabbi Zacharias, this, this was all criminal. I'm just saying as another example, for accountability, it's not strictly handled in the church. If there's something bigger going on, then bigger steps need to be taken. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's it's really easy. Again, we, we're, we're picking on this example because it's just fresh out. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I can say with certainty that I, I looked up to Rabbi Zacharias for many, many, many years. Um, I, uh, it, it's honestly been a rough week reading the continuing reports. Um, but, but it's not just big things like this. Even one of the qualifications here in, in first Timothy three, not quarrelsome. Yep. <laughs> and that you have met someone who likes to argue. Yes. Um, and is in leadership. And this is also what's difficult. Um, Tradition, which that could even be a good episode in and of itself. I'm now talking lowercase t, doesn't have to be Catholic, capital T tradition, things that you must do, but things that we're just grown up doing, and then therefore becomes not only normal, but becomes right. That's very dangerous in a church setting, because even if we're just talking about things that are doctrine-related, and end up being secondary or tertiary issues, we really like to fight. If you disagree with me on something that I was raised believing, that my grandpa believed, that my dad personally taught me, we take it as an affront that you're not disagreeing with how I interpret scripture, you're disagreeing with my entire worldview and everything that made me me. And that's not a healthy way to lead a church. Absolutely. I mean, and this is really a lot of where the breakdown in communication happens. Yeah. Um, we, we turn these, what are actually arguments about issues, into arguments about people. Yes. Yeah, a lot of um, Americans in general, as we see from social media, but people in the church would fail debate classes. We have a hard time addressing issues and trying to get to the core of why do you believe that? Where is this logically going to take you? And everything just becomes an ad hominem where, oh, you disagree with me, therefore you think I'm a terrible person, so I must think you're a terrible person. And the next thing you know, we're fighting with people over things that had no business being in this discussion. and Everyone loses. And this is where qualified leaders are able to change the discussion. Yes. They are, they, you know, that phrase sober-minded, it's, it's not just about not being an alcoholic. It's about being able to objectively look at a situation and get to the heart of it instead of allowing all these side issues to cloud what's really going on. Yeah, absolutely. And we also just have the, we have a system set up where everybody is kind of at their wits end where we have we're pulled in so many different areas even our um pastors that yes this is technically their job their career they're responsible for different aspects in the church but sometimes we ask too much of them to the point where they just get exhausted and if you're at the point where like the example you brought up a couple minutes ago who the pastor that was asking for help like somebody take over. I can't do this anymore. And if we don't heed that, 
it's natural that they're going to let things slide. Because if someone comes up to you with a problem that might seem trivial, if you're exhausted and at the end of your rope, you might just tell them there's nothing I can do. You, you can't give from an empty cup. Yes. Which comes around to that. That means that we as church members also have a responsibility in this. Mm-hmm. This isn't just about leaders. I mean, um, with with one of the reports, again, I'm going to use this recent example. Um, a lot of the people around Ravi are seen as partly culpable because they did not hold him to account. They just yes. assumed that he was telling the truth. And he had developed a reputation for that. But the fact is, we as believers, as brothers and sisters, need to hold each other accountable. We need to check each other. I mean, I, I believe Jeffrey, but I, I need to double check. Not just for my sake, not just to know, you know, okay, this is the good information. But if he's wrong, he needs to know. He needs to be told that and he needs to be willing to repent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't want to I mean, we don't want to tear down the walls to the point where there there are no godly people. Um because there are you'll meet godly people in your life. Hopefully you already have. Hopefully you know some in your life currently. But godly men and women are still sinners. What? Yeah, I'm a sinner. And, what chief? <laughs> <laughs> um but no, so I mean, it we it's hard with the celebrity pastor culture and um i think it's fair to say robbie zacharias probably fit in that bill yeah he had speaking engagements all over the world had multiple extremely well known yes yeah and it's really easy when you only see the good side of people because when he goes up there and he's talking he doesn't talk about you know arguments you may have had with a wife or times where he said this to somebody in his car under his breath you only see them preaching the gospel and doing apologetics and you think wow they must always live like this because that's all i ever see when they step off the stage there's a real person there which doesn't excuse by any means the things that are done behind the scenes but we have to keep that sense of reality where even when we're watching our favorite pastor on youtube that's a real person they're failing every day they just might not do it on camera yes absolutely um, I and, and that's why it's so important um, when you find a local church to have a pastor who's willing to engage on a real personal level and vice versa, you engage your pastor on a real and personal level. Your pastor or elder or, or members of the leadership in your church because you need to have that relationship. This comes back down to relationship over and over and over again. It's kind of the theme of the whole Bible, actually. <laughs> but but these relationships are what keep us healthy, or what help us avoid these, I mean, tragedies isn't, isn't a full word to discuss mm-hmm. these horrific things that have happened, but it can keep, it can get us off that path way, way, way sooner than when it meets its end, when sin meets its end, destruction. Yeah, and um, I think I mentioned this in the first episode, but just the thought of when you ask people who their favorite pastor is. How many people mention their local pastor that they hear every single Sunday? And hopefully more often than that, just a conversation. Because this is just a this is just a quick little test for anybody listening. Um, when you have, whether it's marital problems or financial needs, or maybe there's somebody that's sick in the family, whatever it might be, and you come to the to an elder 
or your um, senior pastor, whoever it may be at your church, and you confide in them, and they uh, they're there to that you can lean on, and they'll pray with you, and they'll give you guidance, and maybe they'll even read scripture verse with you that might speak to this particular matter. Those are all great things, but let's stop and let's go the other way around. When's the last time you've gone to your pastor and asked, how's your marriage? How are your kids? What are things outside of Sunday service that's not happening in Daniel chapter 8 that I can know about for you, that I can pray for you with? Is there any burdens that you're carrying right now that no one is helping you with? Because there's the old saying, who watches the watchman? Who pastors the pastors? Should be the elder board as a whole, yes, but there's a whole congregation of people that the very least we can do is pray for them, hear them out. Even if we don't know what to say or what to do, we can be there to be like, yeah, that sounds serious. Absolutely, yeah. This accountability does not have to be negative. Right. They, I, I, some people think, oh, accountability, you know, that means I have to confess my porn problem. You know, that that's all that it is. They, they, they get it into the realm of this, okay, I can only confess sin. That's what accountability is. Mm-hmm. But it's so much more than that. Uh, good accountability partners are not just holding each other to account for sin. They're lifting each other up. Mm-hmm. They're helping each other. They're visiting each other. They're fellowshipping. They're eating together. Yep. I mean, there's communion happening between brothers when they are there for each other. Yeah, and the whole idea of holding people accountable is we have to ask, what are we holding them accountable to? If we're holding them accountable to the revealed word that we find in Scripture, then there are things that we're told to do prescriptively and descriptively. So not only do we go up to people and say, hey, I notice you're doing this. This needs to change. That also means going up to somebody and saying, you're doing this. Keep doing that. That's awesome. You really blessed me by X, Y, and Z. Again, going back to the pastor situation. If you've ever gone up to your pastor after service and said, hey, I think you misspoke here. Did you mean to say this? Those are good things to keep your pastor accountable. But do you ever go up to him after and say, that was a great sermon. I really garnered this point from here. If we're only ever giving people negativity, why would anybody want an accountability partner? (laughs) It's a good question. It's like, why would you sign up to be a professional boxer if you're not allowed to punch back? I like that analogy. That's pretty good. Um, but but really, I mean, the, the, these are the the things within church culture, specifically. Again, we're we're speaking West Coast United States, mm-hmm. uh, but but I I really do believe they extend beyond that. These are things in in our regions, church culture, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'd say even within our church, which I love dearly. There's areas for growth uh, that we have to be active participants for change. Yes. Yeah, if you if we live our whole lives going, man, somebody needs to do something about that. You're that somebody. You you walk into a church and you're like, this place sucks. The people are worst. Ugh, man, I wish someone would really just do something about this. Man, I always, I come to church every Sunday and no one ever talks to me. I mean, I don't talk to them, but they don't talk to me. It, it it really is important that we recognize our own responsibility. Because by recognizing our own responsibility, we have power. God gives us power to be agents of change within the church. Mm-hmm. And the world. It's a novel concept, isn't it? Very, very much so. 
Um, so this is this is a quote that um, this is from Pastor Mike Winger. He has a YouTube channel where he does apologetics, and he's a pastor of a local church. But I he, this was from a couple weeks ago, and I just thought this was so perfect for just the example of unqualified leaders or leaders in general. And he says, "Quote: Being good on stage is not a requirement for leadership in the New Testament. Character is." And if we actually, like, we hear that, we go, oh, that's quippy. But if you stop and think, when you hear people complain about a church they used to attend or a church they currently attend, what's something that gets brought up a lot is, oh, the pastor's boring. And that might be true. And as we read in um, the beginning, when we were reading from Scripture, an overseer should be able to teach. So if he's teaching you, he's meeting that requirement. If there's no laser light show and fog, or he might not necessarily have the most dynamic voice, that's not a reason to find a new church. The flip side of that coin, the people who generally complain about that are not generally the ones who have faced leadership with horrible character. Yeah, that's true. Those people know what they, they the priorities are straight. Mm-hmm. It's not about the show. It's not about uh, being dynamic. It's not about uh, being comfortable. It's not about even being served, necessarily. Yeah. Directly, I should say. Uh, the church is, is is a place where, where we serve. But does the pastor practice what he preaches? I mean, it, it seems so simple. Yeah, and I do, I do want to make the caveat. I'm not saying if you have a dynamic or charismatic pastor that you should leave. Like that, right. that, that <laughs> the fact that you are good on stage does not mean you're unqualified. I, I want to make sure we don't say that. Because if you do have a pastor that is preaching the word, living out what he preaches, and is charismatic on stage. Great. Awesome. Praise God. Wonderful. That's a fantastic church to find. Please don't mean this is an either. Stick there. Yeah. It's, not, it's not an either or. This Absolutely is. not. <laughs> it, we're just saying if you have to pick one. <laughs> One definitely matters more than the other. So much more. So yeah, um, and, and really, the point of this unqualified leaders, because honestly, we could go in circles for many, many, many hours about how many unqualified leaders there are, um, what should be done about these unqualified leaders, and actually that will be touched on more uh, in future episodes, especially uh, getting into some of that abuse uh, and trauma. But it, the challenge I want to leave for you today is, are you going to take steps needed to change culture in your church? Yeah. It's gonna be, if it's going to be top-down, it has to be bottom-up. God's kingdom is backwards. I mean, the, the, the least of these are, are who he calls greatest. And so even if you're just sitting in the back row... You have a place in God's kingdom, and part of that place is a responsibility to hold your leaders up. Yep. And not just holding them up on a pedestal. Yes, not, not holding them up irresponsibly. But if they are living a godly life and actually doing what they're preaching, then yeah, use them as an example of God put this person in your life. That you go, oh, this is somebody I can look to to mirror my life after them. Not copy and paste, I need to be this person, and then therefore when they have a fall away from grace, that means it was all a lie and I need to run. Right. right. Um, so yes, that that is the main encouragement that I want to leave with you guys today. Uh, again, 
we could have gone a lot of different directions with this episode, but what it really comes down to is are you willing to be that agent of change in your church's culture? Mm -hmm. Empowered specifically by the Holy Spirit, I should say. Because, yes, you, you can cause terrible change in your church uh, <laughs> through your own actions. Uh, but through the Holy Spirit, are you willing to edify, build up, help construct a better culture? Yeah. Okay, uh, we did have a listener question. This one coming from... Should I keep his name anonymous? I've only mentioned him once. Oh, I wonder if people will figure it out. Anyway. I'm going to really listen. We'll see how many uh, messages we get after this. Dang. Oh, I know. I know. So the question is, what exactly does a lukewarm Christian look like, and why is it harmful? So, a lukewarm Christ Christian, um, for those who maybe have not heard this term before or aren't familiar with it, this is a quote from um, the book of Revelation that Jesus uses and then actually follows it up with the phrase, I will spit you out of my mouth. Um, and, I mean, Josh, you have it open right now. Yeah. Well, why don't I read yeah, you, you read it real quick. Okay. Uh, so this is from Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And it's a letter to a church in Laodicea. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen in salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Ooh. Gosh, where was that theme? So be zealous and repent. Yeah, so again, quite strong words there. Um, but the idea of being lukewarm uh, you can kind of look at it from a couple different ways one way that I've always found helpful at least is if you are in the church meaning physically not necessarily church invisible there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of jib jab we can get over there but if you are brought to the knowledge of the truth whether you have accepted that truth or not but you claim this is me I hold these things, then that spiritual change should have happened, and therefore you would not be lukewarm. Because there are two kingdoms, darkness and God, and lukewarm fits not in God's. Might be an easy way to... Right. Um, I, I really hone in on those last couple verses where it talks about, you think you're rich, you mm -hmm. think you're clothed, you think you're prospering. Uh, and, and so uh, another theme, you know, when we're talking about how relationship, right, is a big theme in Scripture. Uh, another big theme is humility. This is another leader, uh, another requirement, not just for leadership, but for all Christians, recognizing our complete and total dependence on God. When we think, yeah, I have God and I have myself, too. We're not zealous for him. No. That is pride. And that is why he says to repent. That is why he's going to discipline you not because he's angry 
but because he wants you to be his child and act like one. Yep, self-deceit is very powerful. If you are his child, his anger has already been poured out on Jesus. So the discipline is not out of anger, it's out of love. Not that love and anger are mutually exclusive, <laughs> to clarify. But, but recognizing our pride and putting it aside to live wholeheartedly dependent on Jesus, you're not going to be lukewarm in that state. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, it, it is a little perhaps vague to, to describe what lukewarm is, um, but I think it's very clear what lukewarm isn't. And so I would head for that. Yep. And just if you need more biblical illustrations, if God has removed your heart of stone, replaced it with the heart of flesh, and written his law upon your heart, you'll be burning, baby. <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> not, not oh, no, I, I don't think that's, that's not going to work, Jeffrey. I like it. That's our new bumper sticker. Okay, Jeffrey, did you have a question for me? Well, we just, I just have a little little thing to ask you here, Josh. How do you feel about renaming the Book of Psalms David's Mixtape? I mean, you have to put featuring, because there's a bunch of authors. Oh, that's how we do it nowadays. Everything's featuring. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure my dad does have the cassette recordings of the King James, so I could just put David's Mixtape over those psalms cassette tapes and that could be David's mixtape. We just got to figure out the names of the psalmists that we know. True. And would he have to be like Lil David so he could get a SoundCloud presence? Trippy D? That one. Mm. Lil Davy maybe? Lil Davy. Um, Jesse Jr. No. No. Uh, King. No. <laughs> Never mind. Than that one. <laughs> <laughs> Not even gonna finish that one. Um. Yeah. Uh, I. I think it brings up way too many problems. I think it brings up more problems than it. No, it doesn't solve anything. No. So the answer <laughs> is no. Let's not rename it to David's mixtape. <laughs> can't remember okay yes thank you once again for joining us on the firm foundation podcast we hope you have an excellent friday we'll see you next week um we're going to be talking about reconciliation because uh after seeing what happens with unqualified leaders uh, i know many you know even part of my own story I, i stepped away from church for a long time so how does the reconciliation begin that's what we're going to be exploring next uh in two weeks two weeks from today and we look forward to speaking to you again. Yep. Thank you for listening. Be blessed.